Greetings in the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. I am able to do recording today. I am sorry last week I was not able to do it because of health reasons, both on myself and many members in the family. Not that we were sick, but we were weak and uh, somehow could not do the work that I was supposed to do. Today's meditation is taken from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. And uh, I have entitled this meditation today as All for God's Kingdom. And so, we will go to last Sunday, supposed to be our meditation, as Rene Orleans led us. And coming to the conclusion of the study in Luke chapter 19, I'm reading from verses 8 to 10. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abram, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. These were the concluding verses of our discipleship program mentioned earlier. And so there was one thing that Rene Orleans, as he was leading, said that the possibility that the sermons that Jesus gave to the people before visiting Jericho were related to him either by friends or enemies. Now, in that lesson last week, Jesus, on the way to Jerusalem, passed by Jericho. And as he was walking to the streets, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was short and rich, but hated by the people because he was a publican, a tax collector. And so, some Bible scholars believe that he was more than that just because of his riches. They think that he was the equivalent to the IRS commissioner in his area. He had an army of deputies that visited the farmers and businesses establishments to gather the reports of their income and bring to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus alone had the latest update from Rome as to the true current of taxation. Then Zacchaeus had his staff to compute that which each deputy was to collect from the farmers and business establishments based on the rate that he told them. He alone knew how much the people were overcharged. Hence, the people hated these publicans or tax collectors because the evidence was very obvious. These publicans were normally rich. The deputies were normally Roman soldiers who had the authority to collect. The way I understand is, let's say, whatever income the farmers or establishment had, let's say if the taxation was 10%, now it's up to you to add a certain percentage for your salary. And so, most probably, Zacchaeus said, okay, collect 12%. So the 2% was his. Of course, those maybe the staff had mentioned it to uh, the other people and the world passed around and they were hated. 
the people just hated the tax collector Republicans. Now the question is, would his attitude to the coming of Jesus to Jericho give a hint of the work of the Holy Spirit upon his heart? Verse 3 of Luke 19 states that he sought to see Jesus, who he was. He must have heard something about Jesus. It seems from the Gospels that the ministry of Jesus for three and a half years was primarily to the Gentile area, Galilean area, sorry. Jesus would go to Jerusalem on a yearly basis to celebrate the Jewish feasts, like the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of the Passover, and the Feast of Pentecost, all of this. It is possible that previously he used a different way. That means he did not pass through Jericho. This time, however, he was passing through Jericho, and Zacchaeus wanted to personally see who Jesus was. The Jericho was just very close to the Jordan River, north and west of Jerusalem, north and east of Jerusalem. So on the pathway to Jerusalem, he passed by Jericho. Now verse 3 and 4 stated that, Jer- that Zacchaeus faced a problem. He was short. Since he was hated by the people, they would not give him the opportunity to be placed in front. Rather, they would push him away. Having anticipated this, he ran farther down the road to climb a sycamore tree beside the path. Remember that Jesus did not wear, uh, Zacchaeus did not, or the Jews did not wear thick denims or rubber shoes. They wore robes and sandals. Climbing trees that way was not easy. Robes and sandals can get torn. Nevertheless, he still climbed the tree. He was safely above the crowd and had a better view of Jesus. To his delight, Jesus invited him as a guest to, the house, to his house. It must be that after the meal, because verse record, records that Jesus, that Zacchaeus stood, meaning he was seated or lying on a couch, which many rich people had. The couch would be radiating away from the table with the person's head closer to the table and his feet radiating away. Remember the account in John chapter 11 verse 2 wherein Mary, the sister of Lazarus, wiped the feet of Jesus with her hair. It didn't mean that she crawled or Mary crawled under the table to wipe the feet of Jesus with her hair. There was no mention that Jesus preached a sermon while they were having their meal. Rather, Zacchaeus enjoyed the fellowship with Jesus and what he heard, what Jesus had preached beforehand, kept bringing in his heart. Under heavy conviction, he just stood up and made two strong commitments. First, he proclaimed publicly, to the delight of the people peeking through the windows, that he would give half of his property to the poor. I would understand that half of his farms and livestock would be given to the poor laborers for hire. Secondly, he would restore fourfold to those he had cheated by overcharging the tax collection. Would this mean that he was giving away almost everything or almost everything that he had? Was he decided to be like Matthew, 
one of Christ's faithful disciples for the past three and a half years, we recall that Matthew was sitting at the receipt of custom. Ports of call were either in Tyre, Sidon, Caesarea, and Joba. Matthew could be one of these. I am in wondering if Zacchaeus decided to also be a disciple of Jesus. We have no record that he did because his, this visit of Jesus in Jericho was to the earth, toward the ends of his, of his week on earth and on his way to crucifixion. The Lord led me to a few of the recorded sermons of Jesus recording riches of treasures that men normally strive for. First is the attitude of the rich. Matthew twelve thirty five, A man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. So, what is the person's uh, attitude in life? It will determine what kind of treasure he will go for. I am sharing a few lines written by an unknown author uh, just to give a little humorous picture of this. It starts. This will be of six lines each, and it starts with man o' oh man. Okay? So the first is man o' oh man. When without money, he eats vegetables at home. When he has money, eats the same vegetables in a fine restaurant. When without money, he rides a bicycle to and from home. When has money, rides on an exercise bicycle at home. When without money, he walks to earn food. When he has money, he walks to burn fat. Another section, man of man never fails to deceive myself. Without, without money, wishes to get married. When he has money, wishes to get divorced. When without money, wife becomes secretary. When has money, secretary becomes wife. When without money, acts like a rich man. When has money, acts like a poor man. Next again, man never can tell a single truth. He says share market is bad, but keeps speculating. Says high positions are lonely, but keeps wanting them. Says gambling and drinking is bad, but keeps indulging. And lastly, man of man never means what he says and never says what he means. Life is not about what you couldn't do so far. It's about what you can still do. Wait, don't give up quickly. Miracles happen every day. Two dollars seems too much to give a beggar, but it seems okay when it's given to tip at a fancy restaurant. After a whole day of work, sending hours at the gym seems all right, but taking your mother out at home seems like a burden. Or, praying to God for three minutes takes too much time, but watching a movie for three hours doesn't. Wait a whole year for Valentine's Day, but always forgets Mother's Day. Now, we're going to talk about treasures that are stored. In Luke 12, 21, it reads, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, 
and is not rich towards God. And Matthew 6, 21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Luke 12, 34. Now these two verses reveal the insecure purposes and drives of the men of this world. Primarily, treasures are intended for self-satisfaction, self-preservation, and self-security. This is not necessarily against saving a portion for emergency, emergency use or for future development. This refers more to the obsession to just have more. Because the focus is on oneself, there is no or little concern for others who are in dire need or for the building of the kingdom of God. There is no concern about the afterlife, but only what we may enjoy now. Hence, is not rich towards God. Consequently, if this joy and satisfaction are based on things of this world, there is where the heart will be centered. Jesus said, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Mark 8.36 When he dies, all his material goods will be left behind. So, we are not considering this experience now in Mark 10, 17-31. I entitled it, Safe Treasures. The setting. There's a rich ruler. He is spiritually hungry. Reading from Mark 10, 22. He said he's not secure with religion. Why? When he comes to Jesus, he asks the question, What must I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus quoted the laws, not all of them, of the Ten Commandments. And he said, You are. And he said, I am a law-abiding person since a child. He said, Good master. He was not talking to Levites or scribes or Pharisees. He was talking to Jesus. And we find out in Romans 8.16, only the Spirit of God confirm, confirm, can confirm our salvation. Meaning to say, he was living good, morally upright, abiding by the rules of the temple, but he did not have peace in his heart. Like many people are very religious, go to church regularly, really pray, and read the Bible, but somehow there is not that confirmation from the Holy Spirit. We'll find out why. And his question was, how would he inherit eternal life? A very appropriate quest. What is your quest in life? It's only to become wealthy, rich, popular, and uh, with a good position, well respected by the community. What is your quest? Now Jesus replied, found again in Mark, Mark chapter 10, verse 21. And he said, Give one up of your property. The principle is break free from the idol of materialism, from the God of materialism of this world. 
Rather, give to the poor, love your neighbors, or love God. Said, take up your cross and follow me. After giving one half of the property to others, giving to the poor, then love God. Take up your cross. Come and follow me. That is depositing treasures in heaven. When you give up your time, and you give up your service, when you give up your tithes, it's depositing in heaven. And what, the, what does it say in Luke 12, verse 33? In that place there is no thief that can take what you're putting there. In the banks, they're able to get in by force or by internet. They can get them. Or another is if they're stored like clothing and things, it says in heaven their moth will not corrupt it. It is there waiting for whoever sends it to heaven until he goes there. Nobody else can claim it. Only the one who puts it there to heaven will claim it. So what was the rich ruler's response? Recording Mark 10:22, He was sad. He didn't like to part with his wealth. He was expecting to be patted on the back. But to part with his wealth? No way. And so what did he do? He went away grieved. This rich ruler, very religious, just went away grieved. So we have Christ's response in verses 24 to 30. It says in second, uh, it says there, he, Jesus was sorrowful. So what do we read in Second Peter 3, 9? The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus was not sorrowful because he could not get a good sum of money from this rich ruler. No. He was concerned of the soul of this person. He was not willing that this guy would perish and go to hell, but that all will come to repentance. Now looking back again about this rich ruler, he had the things of this world, more than enough probably. And he had the right quest, deciding for eternal life. Then he came to the right person. He came to Jesus, good master. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He was not even asking just to do and work for it, but to inherit, to become a member of the family of God. And Jesus gave him the, an the right answer. Contained in the scripture, as summarized, the Ten Commandments is summarized in two. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And that love to the Father is by sacrifices, offering, not only of things, but of their life. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Share what you have with your neighbor, your friend, 
especially the needy ones. And what was his choice? He was the one who made the choice. He chose not to give up his riches to gain eternal life. He rather retained his riches and forget, sacrificing it and to be given word for eternal life. Meaning to say, he had no faith in Jesus. Now Jesus, when he said that, himself went through it. According to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 10, Jesus, in the form of God, thought it not robbery to retain his glory in heaven. He came down, born of the Virgin Mary, became an ordinary man. For 30 years, there was nothing, no miracle, no special uh, accomplishment that would draw the people's attention. But he came to die on the cross. He gave his life for the sin of all sinners. He loved us. And he was giving that principle also. If this rich ruler wanted eternal life, he would follow the pathway that Jesus went. Now, Jesus, in answer to Peter, he said, Therefore it is hard for a man to enter the kingdom of God. He said, I have even given up everything. I left my fishing. I left my family. What more do you ask of me? Jesus applied the principle found in 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Money is not evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And what does it do? It makes covetousness. A person to covet after more and more and more. And what will they what will happen? According to First Timothy six ten, they have erred from the faith. It can draw a person away. He's so concentrated in his business, he has no time to pray. He's so concerned in, concerned in his business, he has no time to read the Bible. He's so concerned to make money, he has no time to help people in need. So, Jesus gave an illustration in verse 27. Talks about, it is easier for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. A camel entered through the eye of a needle? Jesus was referring to that door in the wall of Jerusalem that when the traveler whose cargo baggage are strapped on the back and sides of the camel, we'll have to remove all of them before going into that gate. He'll go in, pull the camel in, and then anchor, uh, tie the camel to a uh, post, and then go out and bring the baggage in. And so the camel could only enter if the baggage is removed from his back. And so Jesus said it's easier for a camel 
to enter to the eye of a needle than for a rich man who refuses to lay aside his riches. It holds on to him, and he will not give up. So, what therefore is the price of eternal life? According to verses 29 and 30, he should be able to leave all. Leave all. Even talking about his relatives, breaking the chain to go and follow Jesus and serve Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus. And he will not be without anything. When he gives all, then he will receive in a manifold way today. Just like in business, just holding to the money or whatever, and do not take the risk and invest it, there is no return. But when it is wisely invested and proper work applied, what is invested will bear, bear a good return. Again, like the illustration, to get a good harvest, the seed has to be planted. But the seed has to be planted in a good ground. There is the soil preparation, the preparation for the soil. And of course, to be sure that when the seed is planted, the soil, the, the field or the garden is watered also. Then he can look forward a hundredfold in harvest today. But the beautiful thing is, still a part here in verse 30, and he will receive life everlasting tomorrow. And like David be able to say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is the security of a child of God, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now as we close, here's a challenge for you. Are we ready and willing to make the, com the commitment as Zacchaeus? Lord Jesus, one half of what I have, I will give to the poor. And all I have cheated, I will multiply it four times. So, that will answer the question, who then can be saved? And that's a condition that we have to face. Whom do we matter? Whom do we love first? Whom do we value most? Our relationship with God or the wealth of this world? This message of hope in verse 27 is given. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. No, we, on our own we cannot. But God can change our attitude and our value and our quest for life. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's written, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What does it mean? In Revelation 3, 20, it writes, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Maybe Christ is knocking in the door of your life, wanting to come in and straighten your life, the values of your life, 
the quest for your life and prepare you for eternity. Don't ignore him. He alone can change your heart and you will realize how much he loves you. And by the Holy Spirit, you can love him in return. Romans 5, 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The love of God is given to you and to me, and we can love him in return. God bless you.